Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Tuesday, June 6, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, NFL. You know it. It's Tuesday, so that means all things NFL to kick things off here um, with Evan Swords of 49er Sub and special guest this week, Jarrett Bailey of USA Today, um, the Pump Fake Pod, and uh, everywhere else. Like he's he's doing great uh, over there, building out his YouTube page and writing all over the place. So great to have Jarrett on this very program with Evan and I to talk all things NFL. No JP Acosta this week, but he should be back next week. Um, but yeah, it was great. We talked AFC North, uh, the hierarchy there. Are the Steelers in good shape? Uh, no AFC North team, I think, in a couple decades has won the AFC North three years in a row. So uh, kind of bad news for if you're a Bengals fan at the moment, um, if they're able to go three for three there. Um, we talked about uh, who the first NFL coach fired this year might be. Could it be Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys if they get off to a slow start? Um, could it be Gannon out there in Arizona if they are just historically bad? Uh, maybe Mike Vrabel. Probably not Mike Vrabel, but the Titans we uh, think are going to be pretty bad going into this year. Uh, best landing spots for DeAndre Hopkins, what the Raiders are doing and what they are going to do. Jimmy Garoppolo is not ready to go this fall. All that and more uh, here on the NFL show to kick this Tuesday edition off. Um, also, we got a special interview with Alcoa head coach Brian Nix here in East Tennessee, the defending state champion Alcoa Tornadoes here. Um, Brian was awesome and getting to talk uh, all things high school football here with him. His kind of philosophy, coaching, modern coaching, um, their lone loss last year to West, um, getting a do over there. What would that look like? Um, his summer program. Uh, how you get guys motivated to attack and go back to back. A lot of books written, as we talked about, about going from good to great, but how do you stay great? And uh, Coach Nix did an awesome job uh, kind of outlining that, um, where they're deep. Um, Looks like the secondary and the wide receiver room is going to be pretty strong, once again, for the Tornadoes. Um, Some words of advice he's gotten from other coaches over the years. 
but uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Coach Nix as well here on this uh, special jam-packed edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast Network, where this is a daily national sports show out here in Knoxville, Tennessee, where we cover it all. On Tuesdays, we cover the NFL and anything else in between. So uh, thank you guys for checking out the program. If you are a first-time listener, uh, firstly, thank you for checking out the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, If you would, please hit that subscribe button if you enjoyed today's show. And if you're already a subscriber and you have not already done so, you know what I'm going to ask. Please hit that pause button and leave this show a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Also, a review. Uh, just quick write a review of why you like the show, why you think other people should check out the show, all that and more. Um, it helps other people find this very program, and it helps this show get a little bit bigger each and every day. So if you could take care of that today, I would greatly appreciate it. As always, you can email us for any NFL questions on the Tuesday show for Evan, myself, and JP, and even Jared when he's on um, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at pod chase thomas as always you can watch this very show along with all of our episodes clips shorts all that good stuff on the youtube channel we're so close to a thousand subs we're i think a little less than 20 away so help us get there today youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe all that good stuff all right that's all i got uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, up there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Old friend Jarrett Bailey is here. The helmets are here. Batman, Funko Pop, Halloween 2. The man is prepared. Batman, the killing joke. Like, you you got a good oh, setup. Yes. Jarrett Bailey, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Uh, also, over... That shoulder is a, a Joey Harrington bobblehead for those wondering too, as well. Oh, Oregon yeah. legend, Oregon legend, Atlanta Joey Falcon Harrington. legend, Joey Harrington. That one, it, it's kind of hidden behind the Oilers helmet, but it's a Drew Bledsoe Bills bobblehead. So, a okay, lot of, a lot of goodies. But no, I'm doing, I'm doing well, gents. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, my friend. Um, also here, longtime friend, recovering well from another fun weekend, Mr. Evan Swords himself. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? Oh, he just went mute. That, that's good. You know, uh, oh, there he is. Uh, yeah, my snowball mic only goes so far, so I had to give a little tug. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm good. You know, as all of oh, I feel like sixty percent of the times I'm on this podcast Monday, I'm like I'm tired from the weekend. Tired from the weekend. Mm-hmm. This time, a little more, a uh, little more tired from the weekend than normal. Well, that's good. You made it. You made it. What was your favorite uh, part of your trip to Scottsdale over the weekend? Oh, you know, a lot. I mean, the whole trip was incredible. I have. I used to live out there, so I have a bunch of friends uh, that are still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend uh, Caitlin is like one of my best friends since elementary school, and she went to ASU. And one of the guys that I hung out with when I lived out there, she ended up moving back to Phoenix after she went home after college so we like did this i went back hmm. to Portland. she went back to phoenix and she ended up meeting one of my friends there and now they're married and they just had twins oh wow 
and I couldn't be happier. I'm like so happy that they're dating. I they're my favorite couple. And so my I you know I I have, I have uh, two uh, twin nieces that I got to go. meet for the first time, which was uh, really cool. I brought Milo down with me, my dog. Uh, we did a six hour road trip because uh, I will I don't trust putting your dog underneath a plane. Fair. Um, but yeah, it was you know it was exhausting coming back. Uh, we saw Dead Mouse at a uh, pool party that was cool okay. um we yeah we were we were getting after it it was a wait lot is of fun. dead mouse dead mouth five it, is that is it pronounced dead mouse yeah oh i never knew that i always said yeah. dead mouth five i just i didn't know it was dead mouse i love you chase <laughs> so much <laughs> i always have read that as dead mouth dead mouth yeah. dead yeah. mouse yeah never uh, knew that i guess it is it kind of never mind i'm just gonna embarrass myself he, more never he's, knew he's dead mouth is just like he is a very online individual and mm. i think back then they were using fives for s's and like passwords whatever gotcha uh, but yeah no it was it was a great great show um well, mouses here in east tennessee and here in uh, uh, in my neighborhood, my wife and I on our nightly walk when uh, we get home from work and everything, uh, before we do this very program, uh, we saw a little mouse run by a neighbor's yard. And that mouse I don't think we'll see tomorrow because that street is littered with cats. And we saw it and we're like, oh, this poor mouse has no idea what he's walking into. It's the hornet's nest here. So, little Thunderdome. Yeah, he, was, he found his way to the Thunderdome, and I don't think it's going to go well for him. But shout out to that mouse for the last time because it's just it's not looking good. Um, speaking of not looking good, the Pittsburgh Steelers' chances of winning the AFC North going into 2023. Jarrett, oh, I had to do that transition. It was, it was right there. I think that it was right there. You know, I don't know when I became the Steelers fan who was like raw rawing and like corralling everybody. Usually I'm the one who's like glass half empty. You're a very Steelers realistic Twitter. Steelers fan. Yeah, yeah. like usually very I'm like, oh, realistic. Okay, let's temper some expectations. Here, I'll throw some fun facts at you. Since NFL division realignment in 2002, no team has won the AFC North three seasons in a row. The Cincinnati Bengals hmm. have won the last two AFC North division titles. I don't think they're going to do it again. Um, not to say that I think that Pittsburgh is a better team than Cincinnati. They just have a much easier schedule than the Bengals, easier schedule than the Ravens as well. I think they're better coached than the Ravens. I think they have a much better defense than the Ravens. Um, and yeah, I, you guys know I do the game-by-game -game predictions. I do two of them each year. One, the day of the schedule release, one right before uh, the kickoff of the season. And I have the Steelers winning the AFC North. And again... When, when I do those, everybody's like, how do you have them as a better team than the Bengals? Uh, I think the Bengals are a better team, a better suited, better quarterback, all of that fun stuff. But I think there's something to be said for Mike Tomlin, who we I don't need to defend Mike Tomlin. He, he does it every year where we think, oh, OK, well, they're two and six. Here comes his first losing season. Nope. Nine and eight. Eat it. And everything that they've done this offseason, they had a fantastic draft. They had some quietly good pickups in free agency. Like, yes, they lost Cameron Sutton, but they pick up Patrick Peterson and then they draft Joey Porter Jr., Corey Trice. Um, Levi Wallace is still there in the defensive backfield. And then offensively, they completely redid their offensive line, which looks so much better right now, at least on paper. We'll see it in action, obviously, in the preseason and then the regular season, but it looks so much better. And when you have that, uh, Najee Harris in the last month of the year started to look like 
a good running back, which is something that was inconsistent throughout his first year and a half as a starter. Jalen Warren, a really good two behind him. Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, they bring in Darnell Washington. Like everything about them, man, um, I love right now. And everybody's saying, oh, well, that, they've got Kenny Pickett. What, what if Kenny Pickett, like, he, what if he's not going to be an elite quarterback? I don't think he's going to be an elite quarterback. He doesn't need to be, though. If he's the 16th best quarterback in the NFL, and everything else lives up to its potential, the Steelers are a playoff team. Have you already so, gotten to the point where he doesn't have top 10 potential eventually? You don't think that's in, in the yeah, card? Yeah, I think his ceiling is like tier three. So in that like mm. car, uh, maybe Ryan Tannehill a couple years ago, uh, if you want to throw Kirk in there, somewhere in that tier where mm. he's solid, but I don't think he's ever going to be the reason that you make it to the playoffs, the reason that you're a 10-win team. Um, but mm. if he just protects the ball, doesn't screw things up. So, I mean, we I feel like we all have this conversation all the time about a certain number 10 that used to be in San Francisco. If he's like a slightly more athletic Jimmy, I think there'll be a playoff team. So, well, he didn't used to be in San Francisco. He's well on his way to making his way back because, look, thing, time is a flat circle. And Watch the- your mouth. I will not... I will not do it. I can't. I'm tired. Do you want to do 40 minutes on Brock Purdy versus Trey Lance? I... I would rather I, slam my tongue in a car door than hear either of those two names for like I, until September. I, I until literally until week one, I would just be very comfortable not mentioning the name of any San Francisco 49er quarterback in the history. Like I'm telling you, Nate Davis, I don't even want to hear it. I don't <laughs> want to hear JT O'Sullivan. I don't want to hear Tay? no, no, mm. especially not Tim Rattay. Uh, I'm so tired. Apparently, of it. Jack Cohn making his way to the 49ers because yeah. why not? Sure. Right, he feels mm. like a XFL <laughs> XFL legend. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need every quarterback under the sun. No, I uh, I just yeah, just don't care. I just I'm so over it. Well, we don't talk about that. We can. Jarrett's optimistic, and he has the Steelers as the AFC North. Can I can I, I say something about that though? Because I. I understand like where you're at from a realistic standpoint, but like Mike Tomlin won two Super Bowls. Won one. He made it to two. Made it to two, excuse me. Um, made it to two Super Bowls. Uh Ben Roethlisberger is considered to be one of the greatest, you know, probably the top fifty greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um are we just accepting that like it was a Ben and Mike situation? Is that what it is? I mean because how do I land my plane here? Your quarterback sucks. And I don't think that I don't think the Steelers maybe making the playoffs is like good enough. Like I feel like they're like we've just I mean like are we are we is that like the Steelers goal every now every, now every year is just like for Mike Tomlin to make you know uh, a winning season? Like I see what you're haven't, they, haven't they had long enough to rebuild? I, I see what you're trying to say. The thing is with the Steelers is like they haven't rebuilt. Like they've had so there was like a period from like 2014 to 20 like 18 where the defense was putrid. They didn't rebuild anything because Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown were scoring 30 points a game and they were winning the division regardless. Right. Um I see what you're trying to say though about like is the expectations like too low? Is it like too low for the Steelers? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, well, I definitely think it's too low, but I mean, okay. I I feel like we're like slowly delving into like we're just acceptance. Like I I don't know, maybe I, you know I, I think with different 
elements come different expectations. So last year, I mean, a lot of people weren't expecting the Steelers to make the playoffs, myself included, because of, okay, the offensive line's bad. The quarterback's going to be a rookie or Mitch Trubisky. Like, we expected this to be a transitional year. And it was somewhat of that. They started off the first half of the season really bad. They finished it off really strong. Now it's, all right, how big of a leap can Kenny Pickett take? Where is he going to kind of fit in with, you know, the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL? So for me, but I'm not expecting a Super Bowl this year just because, like, this isn't Ben Roethlisberger. Like, even, like, year two Ben Roethlisberger, when they did go to the Super Bowl and win it, they had, like, obviously Ben was a ginormous part of that, and they don't win it without him. But I think the defense back then was better than what it is now. They had a better offensive line than what they do have now. That was a different game than it was then, too. I mean, 20 years ago, it's, you know, a lot of things have changed. So I think right now they're goals should be all right let's just get this very very young team some playoff experience maybe surprise some people in the wild card and win a playoff game and continue this forward because again another contrast to the Steelers of you know a young Ben Roethlisberger is that was a very veteran team it was okay James Ferrier it was um uh, guys in the in the defensive back like Aaron Smith had been there for a while. Larry Foote had been there for a while. Joey Porter had been there for a while. The offensive line was all a bunch of really good future Hall of Fame veterans. Heinz Ward Burris, like they were all veteran guys. This is not that. Like the quarterback's young, but so is the rest of the roster. So it's it's one of those things where when you're building with a young team, you're all growing together. It's not, all right, we've got a bunch of vets and a, and a rookie quarterback. Let's just rally around him and do all we can to take care of him. No, they're all learning together. Um, so... I think, like I said, with different elements come different expectations. I think once, if they get into the playoffs, that is a big, big win for this very young team. And if they surprise everybody, maybe win a playoff game, that's huge. Um, as of right now, in my first like game by game thing, I have them facing the Bengals. I think they would lose in the playoffs. Hmm. So, you know, it would be one of those things where they would host a playoff game, which would be, be really cool. I'm sure that they would keep it close, but it, I'm very intrigued by the season. And this is like the most excited I've been for a season in a hot minute. So I'm, I just want to see. We're on the what, same page, Jared. Like be. Evan's over here just dealing with a perennial contender year over year. It doesn't even matter who's at quarterback. And then we're over here just but, fighting for our life. You're talking about hosting a playoff game. I'm right there with you. Guess, Jared, I have a trivia question for you. I'm not even in the oh. trivia bowl, but I have one for you. How... Okay. Many times has the have the Atlanta Falcons played a home playoff game since the Mercedes Benz new stadium has been opened. When did that stadium open? Can't tell you that. You gotta you gotta guess. Isn't the, uh, isn't that a trick question? I know that they hosted one against Green Bay because they absolutely murdered. They them. did. Um, who are the other playoff games? Okay, they played the Niners there at home. Kaepernick had a really good game in that one. They played the 49ers at home in the playoffs. They pick did the, pick up the stick. <laughs> I have zero recollection of that happening. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It was the year the okay. Niners was the Super Bowl. I think. Yeah. What was it? What, 2011. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. It's a great game. Okay. So that it. tells me how <laughs> right, that gives me at least a, a time frame yes. of how long. So that's at least so how many have they won or how many have they hosted? How many have they hosted since okay, it's well, been that's opened? At least two. No, that's the dome. Those are both the Georgia Dome, not Mercedes. Those are the, okay, then they haven't. Yes, that's correct. They yeah, have never so hosted a home playoff game in their new venue. And it is, Can I, I think this will be your stadium. Beautiful it, stadium, by the way. It looks horrible it, on TV. Like mm, the interior. I hate it. 
hate the way the grass looks or the turf. The tur- I was going to say, tur- it's definitely not grass. It is some fake, yeah. fake turf. Yeah. Don't like the way it looks. Too too bright. The only thing that I want to say, and the reason why I want to wrap this up with what, what I was talking about is I've been watching my team have a fantastic roster and, and not win the big game for so long. So I just like, I, I hear you sit here talk about Kenny Pickett like that. And like, I just want to save you the trouble, dude. I just want to like, just let you know. You're never, it's never going to be enough. Like Kenny Pickett's mm. not going to be enough. And I only tell you that because I have just, I've gone through it. I've watched five quarterbacks, maybe like 15 at once. It depends on how many you <laughs> use, like Voltron, add pieces together. It's just not going to be enough. Yeah. And the thing that I always tell people in today's NFL when they try arguing, like, okay, well, he's not an elite quarterback, but okay, you don't need an elite quarterback necessarily to win a Super Bowl. But, the but is you better be perfect everywhere else. That means you better have a top three defense. You better have a top three offensive line. You better have a top three, you know, skill guys around him. You got to be perfect everywhere else. Thing with San Francisco is they mostly have been, and they've gotten close. Like one overthrow is thrown a little bit closer, and it's a I touchdown. Pro- I promise you, it doesn't count. I, I, I get it. I hear what you're saying. You need to either be Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, or have your your silly little special quarterbacks, Joe Flacco and uh, Eli Manning, just go Super Saiyan in the playoffs. And that's that's basically how you get it done. Yeah, I was gonna say every once in a while you get like these weird exceptions. Um, and I I don't even like the like the oh the Trent Dilfer and the Brad Johnson again. I, it's it was a different game back then. But in the last decade or so, yeah, we've had a Flacco have just a crazy postseason. We've had Eli, Nick Foles, Nick Foles kind of ride a magic carpet with a dummy down offense from from Doug Peterson. By the way, I love Doug Peterson. I know that wasn't really part of the uh, the, the layout, but I'm so excited for the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. Oh, I can't wait. Mm. I think they're gonna be good. They're gonna be the favorite again. And they're it's gonna just, be fun. They are gonna be fun. Um, one through four though, AFC North right now. So if you have Steelers one, do you have? And then how many playoff teams do you have getting in from this division? So initially, I had two. I have a feeling, though, when I do my second game by game, it's going to be three just because mm. like, I was really teetering on the Ravens or the Chargers. But the Ravens have proven it to me that they get in. The Chargers haven't. So I'm probably going to switch those. So Steelers, Bengals, Ravens, Browns, I think probably three playoff teams. It'll be Steelers at the four, Bengals at the five, Ravens at the six or seven, depending on what happens with the Jets. Interesting. Right now, I probably have Ravens one. I think Monken's going to be really fun for them. I think Lamar's going to be. I think that the top three, you could put them in just about any order. And nah. I wouldn't argue with you too much. 100%. I mean, and a big wild card right now. Realistically speaking, there's like, n- there's there, no one should be surprised when, when you get, when it gets announced that the AFC North, you know, playoff picture is set. But at the same time, like no one should be able to be like, yeah, I knew it all along. Anybody yeah. was like, oh, I knew, I knew the whole time. No, you <laughs> didn't. Absolutely not. It's going to be a bloodbath of a division. Yeah. Like yeah. I'll, I'll predict whatever I'm going to predict, but like, I, I'm not going to be surprised if it goes one of a billion different ways. And like, I say that Cleveland's going to be the four, but if Watson looks like, you know, 2019 Watson, then the Browns are going to be right in there too. But they have to. That's why there's this other like looming cloud where you the guaranteed contract. And look, um, uh, I cannot say I will be um, upset to see it not going. No, I don't think anybody outside of Cleveland will be upset if things just if stuff just hits the fan. Yeah, I'm I'm not, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not too big to admit that I wouldn't be too ashamed of that either. Yeah, but it's definitely possible. I mean, they just got Elijah Moore. 
Donovan Peoples Jones and Watson. I forgot game, about game Elijah three. Moore being a Brown. Yeah, now. I completely but, forgot about that. And like Amari Cooper is going to be the number one on that offense, but like Peoples Jones and Watson were building chemistry in the last month of the season. If you go back and watch that Washington game, they were they were starting to click very much so. And Nick so, Chubb's still there, and they Nick have one Chubb's of the best offensive there, lines in know. football. Like, there's it, a path. There is definitely a path, and they're going to be playing a fourth place schedule. So yeah. it's, it's that's why it's I think the North possible. is just going to be so much fun because I think you could really make the case for all four teams to win the division. Yeah, and uh, we the thing with me though is that we said the same thing about the AFC West last year, and mm. two of those four teams were tire fires. So we'll we'll see. Evan, why or why not? Mike McCarthy will be the first NFL coach fired this season. Oh man, fired? No, I don't think he'll be the first fired. He should be. He sucks. Um, but if there's anything we know, he's on the team that does take a very long time to uh, get rid of their co- their coaches. Um, <laughs> they love their interim, and Dan Quinn stuck around. He's pulled his name out of big jobs. Like they have their in-house replacement. He is. That like, tells me something that he. Right. Yeah, Jerry Jones is like, look, if if Mike isn't the guy, he will be. And I was like, all right, I'll stay. First mm-hmm. off, that's a really good impression. I very, very, very much I'm, enjoyed that. I'm very good at this, Evans. Don't worry. Yeah. There you go. Uh, um, yeah. Thank you for also getting my last name right. Very. I did see that clip with JP and it made me laugh really hard. (laughs) By the way, JP Acosta, one of my favorite people, tremendous talent. I know. I, I, I feel like you guys like might as well have graduated from like the same school of like whatever, whatever, like you're both fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I can't wait to see Mike McCarthy, uh, let go, but I don't think it happens because realistically he just kind of exists. He's like a lawn gnome in your front yard. (laughs) It's there and it's taking up space, but realistically speaking, you can get, you know, you can exist in life with, without like even acknowledging it. I'm like trying to run through the coaches in my head to see who could be, um, McCarthy. Like I see the argument for McCarthy. Like if they're like three and six, uh, I think he's gone. I, I will I say this. I think this might be one of those seasons where we don't see a head coach fired for a while. Hmm. Everybody is just kind of in this weird space where they're like, right. all right, it's too early to fire him. Or, all right, we've got a rookie quarterback or going into a second year quarterback like Chicago with Eberflus. Like, all right, we'll see. We'll see. It, you know, we've got to give him at least a year. It, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Might be the first coach fired. Eberflus? No, Gannon. No. Cardinals. Their intent, like, look, they, Kyler Murray is probably not playing a snap for them this year. They cut and he's DeAndre traded in the offseason after they go two and fifteen. Yeah, I think I'm they're just trying. saying he could be a t- he could be a Jim Tom Sula, 49ers I legend. A, I think that he's going to be a one and done. I I will Do tell you, you this. That. I saw I that. that I saw that man talk to players. There's <laughs> no way he will get buy in, and it, and it already sounds like that was the case in, in Philadelphia. I, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's going to be a fast firing. Yeah, it might be like week 16, but I, mm. I don't know that if I don't know if coaches are going to be you know getting cut left and right this season. Well, you know what's interesting when you look at the Cowboys schedule that in year, like it's very back heavy. Like it's the the front part of this is pretty nice. Like you go to New York, like they'll probably be favored there. It's a night. It's prime time. You get the Jets at home. Like that's... New York is not an easy. No, but. Uh, like the Cowboys should be better than the Giants next year. They should be better. Um, I don't know, man. 
Shout I have out zero to- faith of the Giants, by the way. I'm kind of on. Yeah, here. I think the I'm, Giants I'm just I just like, hey, shout out to the Big Apple <laughs> head coach. Uh, you know what shout I mean? Shout out to the Big Apple. But it's also I when you look at that because he is. Brian Dabble is good. He, he's a good coach. It's just he's Daniel Jones has been paid now, and I'm not uh, a long-term Daniel Jones guy. Give million dollars a year to Daniel Jones is the dumbest thing anybody did this offseason, by the way. Yeah, he. Uh, I'm. I'm not a long-term believer there. I, I don't Let, think that. Allow me to, to plug something just real quick yes. because I. So I did a piece on USA Today comparing all 32 quarterbacks to non-football things, uh, which everybody seemed to like, by the way, and that made me heart really happy. But I compared Daniel Jones to a ham sandwich. Like, yeah, if you're hungry, you'll eat it. It's there. It'll get you through the day. You would much rather have like a three-course meal. You'd rather have a steak if mm. you can get it. He's- you're, you're eating the ham sandwich because you're in a hurry. There's not a lot of options, and you don't have time. Ham's the worst deli meat, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's, dude, I'm 100%. very picky about deli meat. Like turkey, ham, they're all so wet. No, turkey's not wet. Turkey's fine. Turkey's dry. That's Yeah, all turkey's turkey, good. Bro. All the turkey lunch meat I get eventually gets wet. Well, that I mean, just, there's a, there is a little, there's oh. a little more. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll stash that away. For yeah. If it's reference. a little like you're, you're eating the wrong turkey here, Jared, I'm a little concerned about your turkey intake now based on this I, take. I here. Get, chicken lunch meat is, is I think salami is the top of the, uh, the lunch meat food chain. Well, mm. salami, pastrami, roast beef. Those are my big three. And then you can uh, throw, I can't do pastrami. Those yeah. are just deli meats. That's just, that's yeah. those are deli meats. Deli meats are yeah. solid. Put corned beef on. Ugh. To make sure to make the the Mount Rushmore of of deli meat. I don't think I've had corned beef in like. Over I just had an Arby's Reuben like two weeks ago, so I'm I'm fresh off the uh, the corned beef. There you go. I love it that all this spinning. Daniel from, Jones, uh, just sucks. Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> Daniel Jones. Well, like when you look at the McCarthy thing to bring it back, like I just look at around the league, and I think y'all's point about like a lot of guys aren't gonna get fired because I think there's another part of this, right? When you look at the league and like look at who might be bad. The Titans, I think, are actually going to be pretty truly awful. I think the bottom falls out. But Mike Vrabel's got a lot of power there. Is that Vrabel's going to raise that floor? Like on paper, they're a four-win team. He's a good enough coach. For I their th- four yeah, I yeah. don't think so. They're, the yeah. offensive line got worse, and you no, might have the, to play Will Levis back there if Tannehill's. Like I, I think this. Is I want to see bad that, dude. I know. It's like I want to see that train wreck so badly. Mm. This is going to happen. They're going to play bad. Will Levis is going to come out and they're going to give him like a Desmond Ritter year, right? Where it's like, listen, we weren't expecting you to come out and play and we certainly don't expect you to make this team better right now. We'll wait till next season. But also just exactly why they should have just moved all of the assets that they have to gain draft picks. Like, why are you holding on to Derrick Henry? You're not winning anything with him. This was the probably the last year you were going to be able to get anything for him. Same thing with Sandhill. You could have just cut ties. Mm. And just said, you know what? We're going to suck this year. Fans get excited for 2024. We They draft Will Levis, which is also dumb. Like, if they would have just said, yeah, we're going to probably stink. We'll start Malik Willis for the year, God willing, and see what happens. I, I just don't get it, man. I think that they're trying to convince themselves that they were just like a couple moves away. They're not. They're not. No, they have the worst wide receiver room in the NFL. Like, full stop. It's Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Nakina, and then me, you, and Swords. Yes. It's terrible. I like. I'm not kidding when I say the Titans are my pick to have the worst record in the NFL this year. I think the bottom falls be that out. Bad. I, I would think, be so happy. I want so badly the Cardinals to not get that pick. Yeah, I can't. Well, they also have, have the Texans pick. So well, let's also yeah. let's also agree that as long as it's not the Raiders, everybody's happy because I don't want Caleb Williams going to that cesspool. By the way, and I I touched on this on another show. 
If I'm Caleb Williams, I'm Eli Manning, both the Raiders and the Cardinals. If they finish one and two, I'm saying, hmm. all right, one of you trade it. I'm not going to any of your cesspools and <laughs> ruining my career. So either you, you can keep the picks, but I'm not going to play for you. So if you draft me, it's a wasted pick. So it's either gonna... trade it and I'll go somewhere else or, you know, I'll, I'll go to whomever picks at three. Hmm. I, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, but like Vrabel is not going to get fired. Like Vrabel has a lot of power there. No, you look at that they fired Robinson last year. No, I don't think so. Right. Like, so I'm looking around at different spots where I'm like, okay, Sean Payton, even if Brown stinks, Sean Payton's not going anywhere. Um, you look at, yeah, Belichick, like the, that's the fun one. Oh, come on, Chase. Like, what do you, what if the bottom falls out in new England? Like, what if they're foreign? I mean, is it a forced retirement? Like we're nearing the say, end here. Would, they pass it as like Bill Belichick is retiring from the New England Patriots. Yeah. Where behind the scenes, like Bill, either you retire or I'm finding somebody else. But like the Texans could be really bad. Guess what? They're not firing Tamika Ryan. Wait, hold they're on, not hold going on. Three years in a hold row. Hold on. What if mm. Bill Belichick says in, in my contract, and then he goes and uh, coaches the Raiders, where Tom Brady's the owner. Would Bill Belichick want to go there, though? <laughs> I wouldn't. He's a vineyard guy. He loves the Cape. It seems like he he's a Northeasterner now. I don't think he makes the jump. I think when Belichick is done, done, I think he just is in yeah, the vineyard. He's, and he's just what, like 71 now. I think he, yeah. the time is coming very close for him to be done. And look, whatever happens from this point out, it doesn't touch his legacy. Like Don Shula had a couple bad seasons on his way out, and no one thinks of Don Shula any differently. God rest I love how we talk about Belichick, too, or it's like it's time. And Pete Carroll's like two years older than him. Pete Carroll, yeah, everyone Pete just still winning games. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's just maybe one of those playoffs. things. Pete Carroll doesn't feel like the oldest coach in football. Like the man, maybe gum is the secret elixir to life that we never we never knew the chewing gum that was a was a big part of this. I started I, chewing like big wads of gum just to try to like get a more refined jawline recently. I okay. It's gonna work, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Circle back with us in a couple of months, Jared. Yeah. Let us know. Um, the best landing spot for DeAndre Hopkins is where, Evan? Uh, I think you've come to notice that it's wherever that they will pay him, mm. because my guy is not getting options. When they said that he might go be down to go to Cleveland, that's when you knew it's not looking good. But they don't even have a fit for him. He wouldn't start in Cleveland, right? That's. But it, I just think it was the the, the Sean Watson start. connection. Yeah, okay. I mean, like obviously him and Watson already have a built-in chemistry. I think it would be Cooper and D Hop, and then more in the slot. That's what I'm um, saying. So is People Jones going down? Because they Jones. well, I mean, depending on what would happen, I mean, maybe Elijah Moore is the fourth, but they're gonna yeah. run enough where they're gonna have a balanced enough offense where everybody's gonna get their get their touches. So. Um, best fit though. I mean, I've said Buffalo. It, it, it's felt like an inevitability that we're just kind of waiting for. Mm. I don't know. What well, you think the Bills are the inevitability for? I thought, for the longest time, I thought so. But mm. I mean, they did make a really good move today, signing Leonard Floyd, which is something they needed to do because their edge rushers were bad. They're not good. Um, which is not good and also kind of weird because they've spent a lot of draft capital in recent years. Yeah, um, and that's, that's like fine. Greg Rousseau is probably the best one there. And even then, like he's just a dude like AJ Epinesa hasn't panned out yeah. to anything. They just paid Ed just, Oliver too, though, which I didn't like. Like Ed <laughs> Oliver, good, good for him, man. He's a dude. He hasn't made mm. one Pro Bowl. He's just been a dude giving that much money to a dude. Don't like it. Mm. Yeah. 
but it's funny we're talking all these dudes and it's like they were just game wreckers all of them in college like they were all just these super college defensive linemen and just like in the moment you're like this makes sense and it's the bells they get the benefit of the doubt ed oliver is on a like an an above average starting interior defensive lineman but he's not Mm. worth the money that they gave him I just, I don't know where the best, I mean, the Patriots make a lot of sense actually for De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think they sneaky need to do something more with that wide receiver room, but they yeah, never did. If, if you're DeAndre Hopkins though, do you want to go play with Mac Jones slash no. Bailey Zapp slash Trace McSorley? Yeah. I want Trace McSorley to start a game this year. That is my, like, if, I don't know if there's a sports book that has that, that like over under starts for Trace McSorley in New England this year. Oh, I want to, I want to hit the over. I mean, he's behind. Uh, he's like, he's what third? Is he's he even gonna third. make? Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I have my doubts on McSorley. So but... We can all play that fun Trace McSorley song from when he was at Penn State. <sighs> Penn State has the same kind of quarterback over and over again. Outside of Drew Aller this year, maybe Drew Aller is a very different that. kind of guy. But Sean Clifford, Trace McSorley, Michael Robinson. You go through these dudes, and it's just like the gamers who just don't really have a ceiling, who don't really have an NFL body frame arm but they win michael a robinson lot of a games fullback though huh michael robinson was a pro bowl fullback though he was people i wonder how many people realize that that man was a very good college quarterback he was uh, a won an orange bowl yeah he was good um uh, no but they've they've just had so many guys like that where you're just like they're great college guys but they're not gonna pan out in the nfl who was the last great nfl quarterback from penn state have they had one I don't know if they really had one. Like they've had some guy like Kerry Collins with the Penn State. Um, it has to be Kerry Collins, right? Like I don't, I don't think there's anybody else. I, I mean, Kerry, how like many? What did they? What did Kerry Collins? How many wins did he have in Tennessee? 13 I mean, that man 12? went to the Super Bowl with the New York Giants, sir. He was a Super Bowl quarterback for the Giants. What he did with the Titans was crazy. They got the one seed that year, 08, 13 and three. Then they lost to Joe Flacco in the divisional round. Yeah, man, um, that's wild. I. I don't know why that is. Then you have Marino and Kenny Pickett and Pitt. Like Pitt has these guys, and then for whatever reason, Penn State doesn't. Um, What is realistic for the Raiders? You talked about the Raiders a little bit, Jared. If Jimmy's foot is not okay, because I don't think Brady's happening. Like I think we can just go ahead and cancel that one out. I don't think Brady is going to be the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders at any point this year. That being said, it's a lot of pressure for Aiden O'Connell, and it's also kind of weird. Like, why was Jared Stidham not? sticking around here if right. this was all up in the air like it's all a very weird process right now in las vegas and they have no risk here with jimmy garoppolo at this point based on what mike florio saw going through that contract like i don't know what to expect from vegas going into this fall and are you extremely concerned about who's going to be under center week one i think regardless of who's going to be under center they're going to be horrible mm. like, this is just in the past two decades, the Raiders have been an endless cesspool of mediocrity, damnation, and stupidity. Like they are one bad move after the other. Mm. And the quarterback move to begin with, it's at best a lateral move. At worst, they got worse at quarterback. I understand the chemistry between, you know, he, McDaniels and Jimmy or whatever from New England. But name me, if you can, I'll spot you Chandler Jones and I will spot you Max Crosby. Name me three Raiders defenders. Don't think he can. I'll, I'll uh, give you I'll Nate give Hobbs. You a, is Nate Hobbs still a Nate Hobbs is still a Raider? That's one. Uh, hold on. Let me think here for a second. Um, who do they? Oh well, Tyree Wilson, right? Okay, that's two. He was just drafted. Uh, uh, let me let me do you one better. 
Who cares? <laughs> Divine Diablo is another one if you were looking for one there, Chase. Oh, uh, um, side linebacker. Okay. My point being that yeah. the roster is too horrible. They're poorly coached. Josh McDaniels isn't an NFL head coach. Like, I like some of the guys that they have. I think Michael Mayer could be really good, but like the offensive line is still crap. It looks like they could trade Hunter Renfro, too, by the way. Which and I would love. The Falcons really need Hunter Renfro. They really need a third down uh, receiver uh, safety blanket. And from Devontae Adams, like there's a reason that he's being like, yeah, I don't like the direction this is going. He's yeah. I give it till week six until the Raiders are one and five. He gets overthrown again by Jimmy Garoppolo. And then he just takes off his helmet and leaves. Like there is if I'm Devontae Adams, I'm I'm not getting any younger. I only have so many seasons left of being like a top tier guy. I want to go somewhere where I can win, and Vegas is certainly not it. Man, yeah, I think they're they're a sneaky good bet for like worse record. Like you could see how it gets bad. bad, and part of it it's not even McDaniel's and this administration's fault. We should give Ziegler and them this benefit of the doubt in that the Mayock Gruden era, which is how many dudes who did not stick around, the Conleys, the Keelan Farrells, like you just go up and down this list where it's like horrific stretches of drafts where it's just going to take time to come back from like, it's just some of it's really just not their fault. How they made Derek Carr, the scapegoat and all of this is mm. horrible. Yeah, that's he sucks. Derek Carr does not suck. He Derek sucks. Carr is a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Derek Carr sucks. He's a top 12 quarterback. How, Do you think he's going to be a top 12 quarterback this year? Oh, um, oh uh, yeah. I'll I bet mean, you he, any. Um, you, you wanna, yeah. Because you want to eat another shirt dog. <laughs> Well, how are we determining a top 12 quarterback? Because like when I did my quarterback rankings, I think I had him at 10 or 11. What do you think? QBR? Like, I don't Like passer rating, maybe, I guess. I okay. don't know. Yeah. If you want to say that Derek Carr will finish top. Well, I don't like passer rating, though. I think that's because, a pretty good method. Because you though. can be on a bad team and just be throwing the oh, ball. Right, so yeah, you know what? I'll give you that. Because Andy Dalton had a higher passer rating last year. Um, What is it? QBR? What is the? QBR could be a good one. DVOA. DVOA, yeah, yeah, yeah. DVOA. If the Saints have a top 10 offensive DVOA this year, I will. Uh, I need to think about this because I, that is one I would gobble up right now as not happening under any circumstances. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, that going to. I'm texting Alvin, work, my, my friend, good Tennessee friend, Alvin Kamara, right now. You are not playing football <laughs> for the uh, New Orleans Saints this year, sir. Carr going to New Orleans, I think, was a dumb move because. Mm. The Saints are another one of those teams similar to Tennessee. We're like, oh, man, we're only one move away. No, you're not. Okay. Mm. Your defense is old. It got buffered by playing a lot of bad teams last year. And like outside of Chris Olave, what do you have? Oh, we got Michael Thomas. Uh, Michael Thomas hasn't been good since 2018. I, I, I don't care that Michael Thomas is still there. I don't. And like I look at like if you said, okay, you can pick Atlanta's roster or the Saints roster. I'm taking Atlanta's all day. The mm. roster is so much better on both sides of the ball. I like Derek Carr. Language. I, I, I like Derek Carr, uh, but I the, plus they have a horrible head coach. I think Dennis Allen is in consideration for the worst head coach in the NFL. So it's they have the quarterback, but if you, you if you have three one or one or two of these three things, I think two of these three things you're a playoff team: a good head coach, a good quarterback, and a good defense. You throw in a good offensive line there too. If you've got Three of those four, you're a guaranteed playoff team. If you're two two out of four, you're on the hunt. One out of four, we'll talk about you. Zero out of four. I think they've got a solid defense, but it's getting older. A solid quarterback, a crap head, co- head coach, offensive line that's kind of up in the eye. They have a benefit of playing in a bad division, but I don't think that they're going to be anything special. I wish Derek Carr would have gone somewhere else. Mm. 
Jared Bailey, what can the good folks check out from you across the internet this week? Um, so I started a new thing on my YouTube called Watch the Tape. Um, we, well, we, I uh, take a player. I'll probably mm. do one or two of these a week. Uh, I find some, uh, watch all 22 film, take, find some plays throughout the season that I really liked, explain why I liked it. It's not like a football jargon deep show. Like, no disrespect to anybody who is a very big football jargon podcast type thing. I just feel like most casual football fans don't care about hearing that in-depth football jargon talk. Like, oh, wow, watch how he runs this squiggly, whatever the hell, X, Y, Z. I don't do that. I say, hey, this is what the defense is doing. This is why I like the play call. Isn't this football player great? Here's a 10-minute video on why. I did Josh Allen delete it off. If you're a Bills fan, please go watch that. Um, and yeah, all the other stuff from USA Today. I just did another one. 32 potential breakout stars. One player from each team that could break out this season. Go read that on USA Today. You can read that quarterback piece that's on USA Today as well. It's very fun and very goofy. Uh, you can see who I compared uh, Desmond Ritter to, Chase Thomas. That would be lots of fun. Old Trevor Lawrence? No, no. That's not who I compared him to. Um, mm. I think Alex like Smith? The, I think you'll like the compare. No, it's a non-football comparison. So. Oh, I think you'll like it. It's it, it's more of a satirical, goofy piece, but people seem to really enjoy okay. it. So, so yeah, that's the YouTube, the Pump Fake Podcast, as always. Mike K from the Charlotte Observer joined me on the latest episode talking the NFC South. Oh, would you look at that? It came full circle. We're talking NFC South right now. So, yeah, go listen to all the Falcons that. are the favorites. The Falcons are the favorites right now. They yes. certainly are. I'm leaning, nice. to, I'm leaning toward them, Chase Thomas. It's, it's just, about time. Can I get on the Desmond Ritter bandwagon? And the answer is I probably not, but I love the roster. I was going to say, here's the best part. You don't have to because don't Arthur to Smith is going to take the ball out of his hands. He is throwing 17 times a game, and <laughs> that is all that man is doing. Just don't My turn the ball Miles over. Garrett has talked to me heavily about the Falcons this offseason. He's like, yeah, they're going to be good, man. I'm like, all right, buddy. We'll, we'll see. Bijan, like, I just, I can't wait to just, like, be emotionally because the last two years, like, you know, it's been a rebuild and they've been Understand just floating at 500, so overachieving. Good. I haven't had, like, those Sunday afternoons that Evans had for the last seven where it's just like our team's in it and it's just fun. It's win, win or die. And I'm just emotionally exhausted every week. Um, I'm going to have that again this fall because I think the Falcons should host a playoff game. They should be a playoff team next year. And like, I get to see Bijan Robinson line up in the slot on third down Cordell Patterson and Tyler Algier in the backfield with Desmond Renner in the gun. That's I something pray. I get to see. I, I hope pray. Arthur Smith lines up a wing tee just once. I, just I would love that. I pray to God that you have to watch Josh Johnson quarterback for your football team this year in a meaningful playoff game. So you know <laughs> how great it is to be a 49ers fan. It's fantastic, Evan. I see you every Sunday. You've gotten more wins than losses. You've got What about the last Sunday of the season that they play? It's not about the it's not about the end. It's about it's the, not journey. About, it's it's about the journey. journey. It's about the friends we yeah. make along the way. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, if you were a 49ers fan, just Built, you know, born a decade before me, mm. you would have got to see five Super Bowl wins. Yeah, I have seen. On the many side, are saying that NFC title games are just south, as good. If something does go south, Chase with Desmond Ritter, you got Taylor Heineke there, who among the top backups in the NFL. Yeah, from Atlanta, went to Collins Hill, rival high school of mine. All he does so is came win. back home. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's yeah. a fun little nugget. Collins Hill Eagle legend, Taylor Heineke. Um, it's also, if you're a desperate, you have to be a little bit nervous because that man finds his way into the field no matter what, who's that quarterback. Like, it's just, there is, it's just not good for, it's not a good vibe to just have Taylor Heineke looming over your shoulder as a backup quarterback. It's a, it's a little concerning. Um, Evan Swords, Jarrett Bailey, thank you as always. Jarrett, don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on again soon. Evan, thank you as always, my friend. And I will talk to y'all 
very soon. Cheers, boys. Take care, boys. All right, joining me now, head coach of the Alcoa High School Tornadoes out here in Alcoa, Tennessee, East Tennessee champions, Brian Nix, first time on the program. Coach Nix, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Chase. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Are you still uh, thinking about last season at all? Have you moved completely forward? Is there still some stuff you'll go back and you'll be like, man, that was cool. Like you'll go back and watch something on film, go back and check a a certain moment from last year. Have you turned the page 100%? Yeah, I think you never turn the page, especially in a year where you like, you know, we lost such a close game to West. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you always look back at you. To me, any good coach is going to look back, okay, how could I have altered the outcome of that game? You never blame it on kids, you never blame it on situation. You're always two or three calls here, or there, and that's all, you know, three point game against the undefeated 5A state champions. That's how it goes. So, but you're always trying to look back and see, okay, what could we have done better to to uh, you know service our kids better in that situation? And even the state championship game, you know, even though we won by 19 points, each national scored 26 points on us. Mm-hmm. And so, being a defensive guy, um, I'm always looking on. You know, there's always is was it just a it was a matchup problem? Was it a schematic error? Was it a you know, technical error or something? And I think that's as a good coach, you want to look back that we did we not you know, work a technique, did we not drill a technique that could help our kids be successful. Was there a scheme that we put our kids in the situation? And we knew going into that game that scheme wise, we were going to be a little weak in the run game. They had two really good receivers. And we kind of pretty much decided that we were going to let them score fast. We were going to try to make them drive the ball, you know, move the ball down the field. Um, try to do some movement up front to try to get some negative yardage plays, but just not let them throw the ball down the field because we didn't have really any good one-on-one matchups. So when you're having to double cover two receivers and the team can run the quarterback, uh, you're going to have some issues. Now, we we were also blessed in going to the game. I felt like we could court, we'd score some points. You know, our mm-hmm. offensive staff is unbelievable, and they're always going to put us in a good situation. And I felt like – uh, that we could score some points, and because of that, we could be patient on defense and not feel like that we had to win every possession and uh, you know, let, let some plays come to us for sure. Well, you mentioned in another interview talking about just uh, obviously you being a defensive guy, um, the importance of linebackers being the quarterback of the defense. So when you're going up against stuff like that against East Nashville or West, um, how critical was your linebacker play all year long to doing what you needed to do defensively? I think that's something I've gotten better at as a coach is how to coach those guys on mm. tipping off plays. You know, is a guard sitting light? You know, where's the tailback? Is he behind the quarterback? Is he in pistols? Is he in front of the quarterback? Is the H back mm. wide or tight? So, you know, when I was young, I thought you had to make all these great calls, right? You had to mm. make this perfect call, this perfect pressure, which really, if you'll just run a couple of pressures in your base defense and teach kids to get the answers to the test before before they start. And, mm. and I think that was something that we did a really good job. Yeah, you know, I had two really cerebral kids, Aaron Davis and Braden Cornett, um, who were pretty much full-time linebackers. And so I had them all the time. And so you're able to do a little bit more with guys like that. And, and they pretty much get our whole defense lined up. And so when you're in a situation, especially you know, East National did a really good job of tempo. When they would get a play over about five or six yards, they were going to line up and run that same play again. And it really, as a coach, then it's out of your hands. You, you'd be the guy, to, hey, we're going to check to a pressure here. We're going to play the same call. What are we going to do? And, but you could do a little bit more and not allow them to vanilla your defense if you've got some some linebackers in there who can get everybody lined up, who can get the calls made. 
And and I think a lot of it's just being confident. I mm. always tell them it doesn't matter what you call as long as we're all playing the same thing. We got a pretty good shot. Like they may always say the secondary is as long as all four of us in the secondary are playing the same coverage, it may not be perfect. They may get 12 yards, but we're probably not going to give up a free release down the field for a touchdown. You know, the same way with the, if everybody in the front's playing the right gap, okay, they may break a tackle. They may knock somebody down. They may get eight or 12 yards. But usually when you see that, that 50 yard run that bursts down the middle of the field, somebody didn't fit a gap right or they thought they were fitting a gap right, but, uh, uh, a defensive end was playing one front, a linebacker was playing another, and Nose was playing another, and that's when. So just getting those guys to be confident, hey, if you're not sure what we're going to play, get everybody on the same page and we'll line up and play, and it, it'll be good enough until we can get the right thing called. What's the biggest um, difference between limiting exclo- explosive plays at the high school level versus the college level you found? I don't know. I think anymore it's getting to be very similar. Hmm. Uh, I think that you have got to get tackles for losses anymore. I, mean, I, I think that's trickled down from, uh, you know, I know that was a, a big emphasis for Georgia a couple of years ago. Hmm. Uh, they had, you know, uh, Greg Williams and some of those guys comes in, came in who had led the NFL in tackles for loss. And it, it's gotten to be in the last three or four years that you need to call pressures in the run game. Hmm. Five to ten years ago, it was line up, make them keep snapping the ball. They're going to make mistakes. Well, anymore, if they keep snapping the ball, what they're going to do is score mm-hmm. because they're going to get that ball out in space. Uh, they're going. There's just so uh, high school offenses can execute so much more than they could in the past. I mean, I, I would say you know back when George Quarles was at Maryville, mm-hmm. a lot of people ran a lot of offense. They could execute a lot of offense. I think Maryville still does a really good job if they execute a lot of offense. But I think you're seeing more and more offenses in high school. I think that's because of huddle. That's because of technology. Um, you know, kids, you can condense a lot of things down, but they can execute a lot more scheme. And if you keep letting them snap the ball, eventually they're going to be right. Yeah, you know, they get coached well too. They, if it's a good team, they have good players, and and, and so I think it's became a really uh, a point of emphasis to try to get tackles for loss, to try to get those teams off the field. Um, and I think that's any level of football. I mean, I think it, I think in the NCAA last year it was like any drive where you had a tackle for loss. I think the score rate was about twenty percent. Hmm. And that's something that you look at is drive efficiency. Hmm. You know, you say hold them to 100 yards rushing and, you know, 250 total yards. Well, those metrics are gone. Yeah. Like when you're against a good offense, I always, you know, we always say when we play a really good offense, if, if you can keep them under 21, you've probably done your job. I mean, if hmm. they're, they're skilled, they're athletic, and they've got a good offensive coordinator, a guy who's going to attack your weaknesses, um, there's only going to be so much you can do. And then some, you know, and that's why turnovers are huge. Um, your pursuit is so big in any level, but in high school, I think you you got a greater propensity to miss an open field tackle. You know, we work open field tackles. The first thing when I talk to college coaches, what are you doing to drill open field tackle? What are your coaching points? But still, in the end, um, some of the best guys I've ever had work great because of a drill I did with them. They would just absolutely, from their sophomore year, would go in there and just knife people on the ground. There's less of those guys, whereas you go to a you know, Division One school, you got more of those guys who are better open field tacklers. But then you also run into the problem of you get guys who are better open field runners too. Yeah. But I think pursuit is so big in high school football because on the perimeter you're gonna miss tackles. I don't yeah. care what you do, that first guy's gonna miss. So if you can turn that, he misses and they get eight yards as opposed to he miss and they get thirty yards. That's all the difference of that guy getting up off the ground and running to the football. And I think that's something our kids do an unbelievable job of is is playing really hard. And and, and that's when effort comes in. Mm. 
defense is so much about you've got to get lined up right. You've got to look at the right person. It can't just playing hard is not going to win you a championship. It's just not, especially anymore. But once the play breaks down, once the ball's out in space, then it comes to a lot of times those are when those effort plays happen, um, that those guys will just run. And you see that guy, he made a tackle for a six-yard game, but you go back and film and you watch, okay, we won by four. Mm. If that guy doesn't make that tackle right there, that guy probably scores and then we lose by four. And I think those are always those hidden stats um, that, that get overlooked in football. Yeah, and it also, I mean, it, there's two things there. So I I don't know if you're a big NFL guy, um, but when you look at, I mean, I'm a Falcons guy. I'm from Atlanta originally, and Arthur Smith is ground and pound when he's like, uh, I'm going to, like, uh, we're going to run the piss out of the ball, is what he said uh, with what he's trying to do here with Bijan and Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier and stuff. But you see the Niners and what Kyle Shanahan's built and all those different variations of the Shanahan offense um, with their scheme. It it seems like we're, because sports is cyclical, uh, cyclical, that we've gone so, like it was just pace and space, right? Everybody was trying to put their guys, their athletes out on the perimeter and just bet on you not being able to tackle them and just get find their guys and we're going to target them 13 times a game, especially at the high school level, because it's just... They, they don't have an answer. So why overcomplicate it? There's nothing they can do with this guy on the outside. Now there's an advantage to being the more physical team that we're going back to kind of this physical style. And it kind of speaks, I think, to what you're talking about, where now tackling is just so important now. And the teams that cannot handle the physical teams are just going to get blown out because th- there's an advantage to having a physical offense, having guys who are not afraid of contact, guys who will go after you and guys who are going to try and break tackles because tackling, I think, I wonder if you've seen this at the high school level has never been worse uh, across the board. Cause you read the NFL and you, you talk up to coaches in the college and NFL level. It's just, it's not as good as it once was from 15 years ago. Tackling is just not, there aren't as many great tacklers as there used to be. So there's advantage, right? I think, I think is the style of offense. Yeah. You know, before when you had, all 20 guys in a 10-yard area, and you ran lead, right? Mm. So that linebacker fills up on that fullback. That tailback bounces. Let's safety has to make that tackle in a two-yard mm. space with all these guys around him. You know, now on the snap of the ball, the offense is pulling a guard. They're showing zone to the left. They've got two blockers. They're throwing a perimeter screen to the right. Mm. And one guy with all that space with the blocker on him has to. And so I think the tackles that you have to make now are more difficult. Hmm. I, I think it's, you know, and, and some people talk about the physicality. I think the game is, all, is just as physical. I mean, hmm. I, I really do. I think. Um, you know, not being able to lay a receiver out over the open. Oh, that's old school football. That's soft football. Well, if, if that's your kids, that what you want to happen to him? You know, to mm-hmm. me, if that saves the game, if we can't, you know, some dude running unmolested down the field, and he goes up for a ball and we just shoulder lay him out. If we have to give that up on defense to save football, because it still comes down to striking and beating blockers mm-hmm. and blocking people. It doesn't matter if it's a while on the perimeter with a screen, if it's a guard on an inside zone. The teams that are really good at all the perimeters, and I call it perimeter run game. When mm-hmm. the ball goes fast to the perimeter, they will block your butt on the perimeter. And the teams that are good at defending it are the guys who will shed blockers, strike blockers, get off, and make you consider where you're not going to get that 20 yard gain. You throw that ball out there, you're going to, it looked really good. You got three yards and you're going to have to block me over and over again. I, and I think you see 
Um, it's a point of emphasis with Tennessee. I think they, they've done a really good job last year for all the down-the-field throws and all the credit they got. You watch their guys, they block really hard on the perimeter. You know, they're, they're working really hard for some five- or six-yard gains out there. Um, and you see people now you're double-teaming on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. You got a Z and a wide receiver who are double teaming an outside linebacker when you throw a flare out there, which that I mean, and it's a true combo block. Like mm. they're comboing to the safety. And so I, I think it um because I mean tackling, I don't know that it's ever been taught or worked more. I mean, mm. we work some aspect of tackling year round. I promise you, you go mm. to Knoxville in January, they are I mean, everybody has certain, you know, uh, I think that's the big thing, how to tackle without pads. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always say that. In our, I think our best tackling drills are done without pads because it's about eye discipline. It's about leverage. It's about body control. Because that kid that will hit is going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then that kid that doesn't love contact, he doesn't love. Then you've got to give him a way that he can get people on the ground. You know, the, the, what is a way? Okay, because it, it's probably less and less of just once again that big in line coming on shot. A lot more. It's I'm coming in an angle. I wrap the near leg. I roll. Uh, it's it's a lot more single leg wrestling, a lot more rugby style tackling, and I think that's really good because you can still have some violent physical contact. Um, if it was my son, I can live with a separated shoulder. I don't want a broken neck, right? Yeah. And so if they, if his body gets hurt, that, yeah, that's part of playing sports. But I think we've done a really good job of you see less and less of kids dropping heads, those head on collisions. But you still can get big hits. You can have really physical branded football, um, but just you know not being ignorant about it, just being smart about how we do it. Now, I think kids buy into that. They they know when you're trying to – the reason you're playing football is because you like hitting people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the that's the, that's the the end. That's the difference between it and every other sport is you get that physicality. Let's give them a way to be physical, but let's also give them a way to get better at that without having to beat on them three or four days a week. I mean, there's a lot of times where we'll go pads once a week, and I think we're a really physical football team. During the season? Yeah, during the season, absolutely. Oh, wow. Um, but, I mean, we do inside drill with no pads on. We yeah. do tackle circuit with no pads on. We do perimeter drill. Because if you if you take care of each other and it's it's about hand placement, it's about angles, it's about eyes, it's about then, – then you've got those few kids where you are trying to develop a level of physicality. Well, on those days when you're in pads, you, you give those kids a little more work. I mean, hmm. David Sweetland, our offense coordinator, always says, you know, once a dog shows you it'll bite, don't make them do it every day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great, you know, yeah. uh, this guy, I know he's going to hit. So what, what, where is he deficient? Where does he miss his tackles? Well, he usually miss his tackles because he's just trying to lay somebody out. Right. Mm-hmm. He's flying across. So he's the guy that really needs to work those unpadded tackles about aiming the shoulder pad, about and getting the near foot up, about getting his head behind you, all those little things. And so it, it, it's much more than just beating your chest and saying your team's tough, but I think it's okay. Because I think a lot of times with miss tackles, it's so individual as to why a guy, where mm-hmm. some guys, they miss the tackles. They don't want the contact. Yeah, uh, they come in and they are they are slacking. Whereas you know we got guys who man they will throw their body in there, but that's what they'll, they'll cause you to miss sometimes. Mm. And we got guys that man that they're just praying that, that guy falls down, you know. And so then I think that's where you do some more padded tackling with those guys, teach them to to finish on. Do you know, we have crash pads out there, and you try to identify the individual uh, weaknesses so that you can make that individual player better. I like it. I like it. Um, what's been the biggest change for your summer kind of program versus when you first started coaching? What have, what has been some, something that you've changed a lot over the years? 
we definitely do more football now, more installation. You know, there was hmm. a span there where in June you couldn't do any football. Uh, you hmm. weren't supposed to have a football out. And, you know, it was just strictly agility and you know, running and lifting. So you would try to do as much football skill work as you could without a ball. So you're still mm. trying to backpedal. You're trying to lineman, you know, their steps in their down block, do as much you know, agility training. But, I mean, a lot of times we'll come out of June with our entire offensive defense already installed. Huh. And then you know, we'll come back in July, install it again like we've never installed it before. And we had already installed it in spring. So we always feel like by the time mm. we come to our first game, we've installed our base defense and offense three times. And then that's when you – and then what you do is about two weeks before the game, you start pulling stuff out. Okay, mm. what do we not have down yet? What are we struggling with? What are the things that we need to throw out until later on? Something we may save for a, for a later game. Um, something that, you know, coverage you're struggling with and we really wanted to run it. But, look, we've been working this for two months and not made much headway. What makes us think, it, you know, maybe this one's you know, put on the back burner and learn to coach it a little better. I think we've always in the summer tried to get outside as much as we can. Mm. Uh, I think that's something that started, you know, when John Reed was at Alcoa and um, we had those kids had never had an organized weight program. So we had went hmm. like four or five months of just straight lifting. And John was like, man, if we don't get these kids out of the weight room, they're all going to quit. <laughs> you hmm. know, they were. And so we did a bunch of just outdoor strength street training stuff, you hmm. know, carrying kegs, flipping tires, pushing g- just any, there was really hmm. no rhyme or re- We just wanted to do anything that was strength based was physical based to get them out of the weight room. Hmm. And then we evolved. Did that it work? What's that? Did it work? Oh, we won a state championship. Yeah, that seems pretty good. <laughs> we had some, re- we had some really good players in too, hmm. you know, Warren, Dustin, Lindsay, Ray Sykes, we had some studs, so um, that helps. But I, I think what it helped was break the monotony. But the, yeah. the thing, I think that the, the unintentional effect was it was with we've, and I say knock on wood because it could always happen, but we have very few heat related issues because we are outside the majority of time in June and July. So, mm-hmm. That, you know, so we will do some, but we're in the weight room maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Now we're still strength training, but we're doing it on the field as far as pushing sleds, pulling sleds, mm-hmm. ropes. Um, but they're outside, they get acclimated to that heat and we can slowly build. So, like last week was just a, you know, a few sets and short yardage, whereas that those sets and yardage will build up. And that's where you know, you talk about being in shape. Well, you know, we don't want to be in shape to play a game. You know, when's our first? Uh, practice day July 22nd mm. right? we want to be in shape enough to execute about 25 or 30 full speed snaps at practice mm. and by the end of that week uh, we'll go we'll scrimmage Macaulay and everybody will get about 30 35 snaps and then we'll slowly ramp that up but uh, I, I think it's definitely more organ and what I've tried to do is is with you know, what we started with John was to you know, use some more organization about are we breaking this up in movements? Are we breaking this up into body parts? How are we measuring volume? I think we're much more intelligent about how we, you know, with skill guys, you can, um, they could run miles in a day. You know, if you do seven on seven, you do a 30, 40 minute seven on seven. There's some guys that have ran two or three miles in that 30 minutes. And some of those miles are ran at 80% or more top speed. So um, I think we're much more intelligent about once again, just not beating your eye. We're going, we're going to just get tough. Just, just mm. get up, you know, that, that, uh, you know, and we do all velocity based training in the weight room. We use, you know, push GPS devices, Mm-hmm. to try to measure bar you know if you see this guy who is a strong guy who works hard you know he eats and all right for two straight weeks his bar speed has been dropping there's an issue there and mm-hmm. i think your best and your hardest working kids are your best barometer if you see them start to struggle you see they look fatigued they look tired 
Um, and it's not just your most talented kids, but your kids that, you know, do all the all the recovery, all the stuff that they need to do. I think that's always a good sign to look at. And uh, that's you know, when you need to pull back. And I think uh, Brian Mann is a guy I respect a ton. He says, you know, him and Chris Corfus say, don't burn the steak. Mm-hmm. You know, just slow cook it and you can you can progress up. But, um, you know, you'll see some summer programs that are bloodbaths. Yeah. I mean, you guys puking in a trash can. I just uh, I've just never seen a need for it. And yeah. to me, it would just make me hate playing football. And I, I just don't I don't see a benefit. Uh, that's not what football is. It's not how the game's played. Um, and I'm not, you know, if that's your method and there's guys who want a whole lot more games than me doing it that way. Um, but I just think any more kids want to know why mm-hmm. they want to know why you want They'll do hard stuff, but look, we're going to do this. And here's the reason why this is going to make you a better player. This is going to, but just in general, doing hard things, if they can't see it directly translate into them playing better them having more success, uh, you'll lose them. And then when you need to push them, you need to call upon them. Uh, they don't trust you. And so I think it's it's incredibly important um, to to earn player trust anymore uh, because they all question and they're not going to do it just because. And they yeah. have so many other things they can do. If you don't make it palatable, if you don't make it an enjoy. Now the work's not you know it takes what it takes. You know Nick Saban mm-hmm. always says that. There's a you, you tell me what you want, I can tell you how to get there. Um, but I also believe you don't have to make their life miserable in the process. You can yeah. hold them accountable. You can coach them hard. You can make them be, you can make them be on time, but when they're two or three minutes late, that doesn't mean you have to berate them. Mm. You may have some accountability, you may, you know, however you handle it. Uh, but when a kid blows an assignment, when the kid's loafing, um, they're still out there. And I think that, and there's a time to, to coach aggressively and to get on a I think we all need, and there's some kids that respond really well to that. Mm. You know, there's some kids that, man, when you get on them a little bit, man, you, they'll respond. There's some kids that completely shut down. And I think you have to have the maturity as a coach is to know, all right, this kid, if I yell at him, even if I'm not negative, but if I yell at him across the field in front of all his peers, he's going to shut down. And so he's the one I got to walk over, get in his ear and say, whatever I need to say, good or bad. Mm. If you, you know, so you can say, well, I'm going to do it my way um, or you can do it. What's best for the kid. And I think that's what it really comes. And I think it's helped me too, since I had kids. My son doesn't even mm. play football. He's a soccer player. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think just seeing how the best coaches that coach them and how they interacted. And I, I love seeing a coach when they're, when they're struggling a little bit, you'll get on to them. But you mm. also see that coach who's going to push them, um, who's going to hold them accountable, who's also going to give them, you know, you give them a strategy that's going to help them succeed. You know, I we were at a scrimmage. And I heard a coach yelling at a kid saying, you you got to stay behind him. You can't let him run by you. And I'm like, well, yeah, no kid. Tell, <laughs> you know, tell the kid how to do it. Yeah. You know, is, is he getting out of his shuffle leg? Mm-hmm. Is he not keeping his eyes on the hip? Is he turning? Or sometimes, I mean, you know, we were in practice the other day. We were doing red zone one-on-one, and one of our guys made an unbelievable catch, and our DB looked at me, and I said, dude, ain't nothing you can do about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, they – don't let them down here in the red zone. But, and I think that some of that too is another team score. I mean, East Nashville walked the opening drive and I told our guys, I said, look, we cannot simulate their speed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's going to seem really fast early. It'll slow down. And, and I think I, I've seen that over the course of my career mm-hmm. and they take the opening drive, march it right down the field and score. And so our, and, and I'm just like, man, look, we're going to be, look, I told you this might happen, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to be okay. They got, they're well coached. They got good players. They're, they're not, they weren't intimidated by us. And so I think if you practice that mentality, 
then when it happens in a game, um, you, you know, the kids aren't they aren't rattled by it. We're a uh, two parter here. Where are you feeling the mo- the deepest on your roster going into uh, summer ball, and where which position battle are you most excited to see play out over the next couple months? Yeah, I think our depth is definitely in our receivers and secondary. Mm. You know, we've got some really good skill guys. Um, we've got some good older ones. We've got some really good. It's probably as much depth and skill position of an of an eighth grade of an upcoming freshman class as we've ever had. Huh. Uh, really a big class for us. Um, 25, 26 kids for a school of 700 kids. That's a huge class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look like this. I think this current senior class is 10 or 11. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that's a big class for us. And so I, I think the depth there is going to really pay off. Uh, we're, you know, offensive line has been our thinnest position just because we, you know, we graduate two power five tackles. You graduate an offensive, you know, all state center and Riley Long. Mm-hmm. And then we had a really good sophomore coming up who's having Tommy John surgery. He was a pitcher. So you're really just looking at, you know, you got what, you know, Isaiah Emmert, who did a great job for us last year as a sophomore mm. and really done a, a really good job in the spring of trying to be a leader with that group. Really appreciate how he conducted himself in spring. You know, he was a state qualifier in the disc, um, still came out and was at spring ball. And um, so we're going to have to have some young guys. And I think we've got some good young ones. Um, you know, we got the John Sperling's guy's going to be a senior who had a great spring and he's never, never played for us, but he's been behind some really good players. Um, but he's a guy that's just, uh, um, I think he's a credit and a lot of those guys to Alex Taylor and Brian Gossett, our offensive line coaches and how mm. they work with them. You know, we don't, uh, I think we do an excellent job of not just working with those front five, but Alex Taylor, you know, really took that second group and our second O line runs all our scout teams, but we always say it's not a scout team. You know, he's over there coaching any play that was similar to what we ran. It was in our terminology. He's coaching those guys because he kept telling them, look, this time a year from now, you're going to be having your shot to start. And I think a lot of them are are seeing those dividends pay off. So I think we can still be really good in the offensive line. We're just young. It's just unproven. But um, I was extremely happy with how they played in that pal scrimmage. It's a pretty athletic defense. It's a defense that was showing us some um, some different looks. You know, you don't don't really prepare for a scrimmage. So, Mm. uh, really have to trust your rules and just block your responsibilities. I, I thought we did an excellent job there. I love it. Uh, last thing, and then I'll ask you a couple of fun uh, non-football questions real quick here. Um, I'm always curious about this when it comes to championship teams. Um, obviously, Kirby Smart was able to talk his guys into believing that everyone thought they were going to go 7-5 and five last year, and they believed it. Like They obviously knew that they were not going to go. No one's thought that the 2022 Georgia Bulldogs were going to go 7-5 and five last year, but when you're the most talented team every single Saturday, it's hard. When you won, it's hard. It's like the disease of me, right? That Pat Riley talked about with the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers and New York Knicks from decades of NBA experience where winning is great, but staying on top, like reaching the same guys, being able to get them, hey, last year was cool, but last year is last year. No one's just going to hand us uh, back-to-back state titles. Like, is it... I guess my question broader, broadly speaking, is just like, do you change your philosophy? Do you have to change how you coach these guys based on uh, what happened last year? Because it's unique. Only one team wins every year. And there are still a significant number of guys who are on that team who experienced that title. How do you get them to just have that same fire burning they had a year ago? I think you handle it player to player and game to game. Mm-hmm. I think that's so... Um, if you ever lie to them once, you know, if you go in and say, look, we're mm. better than this team, but this team is going to come out and give you a go for a while. 
Yeah. Like, you know, if you will just hold in there and play, you're probably two or three touchdowns better than this team. But if you make mistakes and you allow them to believe, because they believe right now they can win, you make mm -hmm. some mistakes, you allow them to believe they can beat you. And then sometimes you do, you say, look, th this team can't beat us. How are you going to play? Mm. You know, the point is, is to not go out and just to be sloppy and to be undisciplined and beat this team who you know that you're way better than. Are you going to go out and look? Would someone look at how you played tonight and know who you're playing? And that's mm. what I always say on, on a Tuesday practice. You should know if it's the state championship game, if it's a Maryville game, who we're playing. It, it should show up and it should look the same. Our tactics mm. drill should look the same. Our team periods of the communication, the coaching, everything should look the same because we're trying to prepare to be the – and it's a cliche term, but we want to be the best possible team we can be. Yeah. And that is a week-to-week -week thing. And, uh, you know, Jody Wright is a guy – have you know, Jody, the head coach at, at Fulton. Yeah. And he's – I have a – you know, won a ton of state championships, but just a guy I have a ton of respect for and how he treats kids and, you know, just dealt with a lot of kids who've had a lot of issues in their life and been like a dad to them. And uh, he said to me one time, he said, everybody either battles adversity or complacency. Right? Hmm. You're always battling once. Either you got beat by three touchdowns or you got beat by three. Right? You, know, mm -hmm. you felt like, man, we were right there. We could have won it. Or you just won by three. And I think, you know, that was us coming off the Marable win. It was a very challenging thing because mm -hmm. I knew coming up two weeks later, we had a West team that on film to me looked like one of the best teams we had played in five years. I mean, they just, oh, wow. told Lamar, I said, you guys look like a state championship team. Big physical offensive line, steady quarterback play, two really good backs, receivers get it down the field. H, you know, just fast on defense, just mm -hmm. to, make mistakes in the kicking game and i don't know if our kids ever really you know i, I was like look if if you go in there and not expecting a war mm. then you're going to be caught off guard and I, I think we did not go into that game and i think that's the one time i did not do a good enough job of trying to convey that message um you know whereas i thought we did a really good job at maryville of in that game there's always these emotional highs and lows and, mm. and i felt like that in the past that we we didn't do a good job when we had the lows. We kind of got that, uh, here it goes again. Because, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, I, I think we've played them, what, 85, 90 times and won like 30 of them. Yeah. And, you know, so if you if you look at the law averages, um, you know, it's hard to beat, it's hard to beat them anyway. Mm. When you're a smaller school, it's hard to just make it our kids understand, look, they are going to make plays. Some things mm. are going to go wrong for us. If we will just keep playing, we'll have a chance at the end. So I thought we did a really good job. But I think it's such a – it's such a game to game, you know, how your team is progressing, the individual issues that you're having. Sometimes you see kids that are getting along really well. You try to foster that. Sometimes you see, man, some factions starting to develop. Mm -hmm. So how you address those with the individual. And I think it, it helps. You know, we've never had like a leadership council, but you know those four or five guys that you can go to to, to test the water temperature. Yeah. You know, what's going on? How's everybody feel? How's, you know, you know, what's everybody saying to you? What are you hearing in the school? How do you feel? You know, when you have individual player issues, I, I think it's always been a, you know, when we're looking at discipline a player, maybe suspending, maybe removing a player. I always think those kids are the best barometer of how do you guys feel about this guy? Do you feel like he's hmm. a good teammate? Are you guys willing to grant him some grace? You know, because we're, we're almost ready to get rid of him. Yeah. And, and so I think that, you know, with, with game preparation, I know it's a little different than your question, but I think it's so much as just, just I think that's the art of coaching. You know, the, the science is the, you know, the what do you do on first and 10, what steps and reps you do in the weight room, how you organize your practice. But the art is, okay, look, we just had two knockdown drag outs games this week. We're going to do 
uh, in pads this week were an hour and 20 minutes. Y'all give it to me. An hour, hour and 20 minutes. We'll go back in the gym. We'll do walkthroughs and trying to find those little things that motivate them, that, that give them some new life, that break up that monotony. Uh, I think it's so – and we have a – I mean, any coach on this staff could be a head coach. That's where I'm so blessed. I mean, I have an unbelievable staff. And so they know I'm open to suggestions. If they That's say, awesome. hey, we're, we're, you know, David Sweetland will come over to me and he'll say, man, you got to do this last period. And I said, nope. And he's like, kill it. We're dragging, you know, kill it. We're, <laughs> we need to go home, you, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's not like one of they're being lazy. It's just like for whatever reason. And some, you know, sometimes kids, man, they're all day long. They're doing geometry. They're doing English yeah. too. They're doing AP physics. And then they got to come out here for two hours in the heat. And so, um, but, but yeah, I think just, uh, you know, there's a ton of books about achieving excellence, not many about maintaining it. Yeah. Right. So I think that's always the challenge is how do you um, what are the issues? Are they resenting the work? Are they they thinking that the game's already going to be won? Uh, mm. you know, they, they look into it, you know, and then and things go wrong and um, you have to prepare them for that. So I was talking about make friends with the worst possible outcome. You know, I always anticipate that there's going to. But I, I think you also have to be honest with them. If you look on film and you're like, OK, we're two touchdowns better than this team. I think when you tell them that. Mm. And then you come down two weeks later and say, look, this team's every bit as good of us. It will take all we've got to beat them. Then they I love trust, that. You know, they, they trust you. Yeah. Uh, because anymore, you know, the, the kids, they get online. They get online, they watch highlights, they can see scores, you know, and, and they, they know whether – but when you're honest to them about, hey, this is what it's going to take to win this game. Here are going to be the problems, and here's what we're going to have to do um, to be successful in this game. And when that comes to fruition, then you earn their trust. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is exciting. And I think as a coach, I, it's got to be fun too with you going into this year because I mean, reaching the mountaintop is obviously where you want to do. But like you said, I love that uh, point where it's just there aren't as many books, there aren't as there isn't as much information about dealing with being on top and staying on top because only one gets there each and every year. There's so many other people that are clawing and trying to find ways to get to the top. All the self-help books are like how it's to reach your goals. Right. Yeah. Great. It's all the, you know, how do you, how do you get there? Yes. Right? Climbing the mountain. Right. You know, but that's exciting, right? Like it's, if you're a curious person, if you are um, just like, I, I, I just think that is, that's a really cool thing. I think you have a great attitude uh, heading into this year. Well, coach, um, how do good folks uh, here in East Tennessee watching here on YouTube and everywhere else, how can they support the Alcoa tornadoes this summer going into uh, summer ball and uh, the season only what? Uh, two months from now, it's it's yeah. I think we should be know Holly on July, I think twenty seventh, twenty eighth. There you go, um, Parson General coming yeah. in there. <laughs> that should yeah. be fun. Yeah, yeah. So we have you know we scrimmage Macaulay and Bradley. So we don't you know when there's no lightweights, and then we open up with Ravenwood, mm. Bearden, yeah. uh, um, uh, the team from New York, Tottenville, New York, and then huh. uh, and then uh, Greenville. So uh, we're gonna have to come out of the gates swinging. Uh, yeah. You know, but, um, the, the summer is always fun. We have our youth camp tomorrow. We do a free youth camp on Tuesday and Wednesday, two days a week um, during the summer. And so, uh, you know, any, anybody that's out there want to bring your kids, it's from second grade to eighth grade, and it, it's free, and it's something that I, our players run it, uh, and it's always a, a lot of fun to, you know, to, you know, it's not something that, you know, we could run a camp and try to make some money, but um, we'd rather do it as a service to our kids. That's awesome. Um, but, but yeah, just – um um, just, just come out and check us out in our scrimmage and all tornado fans, we're going to need to, to get on the road and be in mass in, uh, in Nashville here in the middle of August. Cause that'll be a tough opening game. You know, yeah. uh, Ravenwood, if you've ever seen one of their game, their yeah. fans is awesome. I mean, yeah. they're students and Will Hester does an unbelievable job. You know, he's their head coach and mm. uh, Will's been 
I don't know how long he's been doing it, but, you know, he was killing people with triple option 15 years ago and he's killed people with spread. He's killed people with 11 personnel and he just, he, he evolves and he adapts and he's one of the best ones in the game. So it'll be, um, that's what, like you said, it's what we want. We want those challenges. You you want to challenge yourself. You want to push. We're we're not afraid to lose. You know, we're not afraid. We'd rather challenge ourselves and, and uh, maybe not always come out victorious as opposed to, and you're just staying comfortable because you're never going to be the best you can being comfortable. That's for sure. I love that. And I think Greenville's uh, rivalry Thursday, right? Yeah. Greenville's rivalry Thursday. Yep. At Greenville. Um, Yep. So. There you go. Uh, well, I will be there one weekend this uh, this uh, one weekend, one Friday, or maybe the rivalry Thursday. We'll see if I can make it over there uh, right. at that point. But um, excited to see what you guys do going into a potential back to back national or state championship season. You've uh, like just really impressive, and uh, I am excited to see what happens here, Coach. Have a good rest of your summer. Uh, take a break, get a, some vacation in, play some soccer. See, uh, just yeah. shake things watch, up a little I bit. I watch soccer. I'm do all yeah. I do when I do things fast anymore is like pull a hammy or an Achilles. Yeah. And so I watch a lot of it. Well, I'm yeah. a distance yeah. runner and I've been doing that for 14 yeah. years. And uh, yeah. I broke my foot last year. So it was one of those, uh, it's hitting me now. I can't do what I used to do. You get better as you get older, brother. No. No. So no, it's not. That's what they told me. It's like, you don't, I'm not LeBron. So they don't treat it like LeBron. It's just yeah, more, right. You're not LeBron or Tom Brady, right? No. Those are, First percentile human beings to walk the earth. So. Yeah. They never said that. Chase Thomas, Tom Brady. It's never been said. <laughs> That's right. No. Brian yeah. Nix, thank you so much. We'll That's have to check in again soon. Thank you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.